So if you will, I'm going to do a little bit this morning of a, like, I'm going to set our context for where we're going to be, where we're going to be looking. So we're going to start looking in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. This is going to be kind of where we probably start off when we start reading. We're going to be looking like, so uh, Dustin oftentimes, like, in the pulpit, like, laments the, the chapter breaks in Scripture because oftentimes, like, it, it almost puts forward as though, like, those were authored by the Holy Spirit, but those were put in by us, by, by men afterwards, to make referencing to one another easier. And sometimes, in doing that, the way that the refer if, if you could just, like, for reading a particular book, remove all of the numbers for chapters and verses and just read through... You would see thoughts flowing between chapters, and Paul is especially bad about not having adhered to the like you you break thoughts up in chapters kind of thing. And we're going to see that today as we look at this. Like, um, has anybody ever read the Book of Romans before we get before we get into this? Like, has anybody done like like you've spent your own personal time going through the book? Yes. Uh, maybe it's easier to who's never really spent much time in that in in the book of Romans is there anybody that's like so I want to give a little context to what where we're at because we when we drop in in chapter 7 we are way 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 down the path that Paul has been setting out from the beginning of the book right so Paul is if you've not if you've not ever spent or or maybe you think you spent some time because you were here when we went through it in 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 like the sermon setting when we were going through the book of Romans I would ask you to go back and do it again right like go back, spend time in this book. Um, you could spend a lifetime in it, and every time you run through it, God reveal new things to you, and you could you could find yourself reading this book alone and growing year over year over year in your walk because there is no other book in Scripture where the gospel itself from beginning to end is laid out better and more concisely. Like this, this book, if you spend time in it, will literally change your life. This book has changed history, right? The reading of this book has changed history. You are in Protestant church because of this book and the truth that's held in this book. And the Holy Spirit working through the reading of this book to change lives, right? So where we find ourselves here, Paul is laying out in the early chapters of Romans, Paul is laying out, um, first he's, he introduces himself, he introduces his goal for the book, he's not ashamed of this gospel, what is this gospel? And he starts laying that thing out, and he starts... In a strange place, he starts not directly with the gospel, but he starts with sin. And he works from sin to sin of those who know the law, right? So those without the law, the Gentiles, those with the law, the Jews, all under sin, in need of something. The law could not get them. The law could only point them in the direction of the need for this thing. 
But the law continually just revealing sin could not make you justified, righteous before God. It could only show you how unrighteous you are. So he's laying this out. And then, he's, then he points us towards this hope of justification in Christ. This justification comes by our faith in Him alone. Right? Faith alone in Christ alone. It is Christ who saves us. It is in He who we trust. We're justified in Him. Now, once we're justified, well, what then? Right? If I'm justified, is now the time that I can go and just live the life that I want to live? Right? Like, now that I know that it's faith alone in Christ alone, can I just go on sinning? Maybe, perhaps, if I go on sinning, Christ will be glorified more. Right? No. No. How could we who've been redeemed continue in that? Paul presses then from justification into the sanctification of a believer. Right? And now, from sanctification, he then pushes on for our hope of glorification. But where we find ourselves today in the text, speaking specifically about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we find ourselves in the middle of that run where he's pushing forward this idea of sanctification. And how does this sanctification come for a believer, right? How does it come for a believer? Um, for anyone who's read the book of Romans, have you ever read the book of Romans and looked specifically at chapter 7 and thought to yourself, Paul, man, what are you doing there? Okay, because here's what I'll tell you. If you read the book of Romans, now don't do this, okay? All of Scripture is profitable. And if you remove this, this that you find in chapter 7, you will remove something, I think, that is a great benefit for us as believers. But if you were to just like, for the sake of argument, remove chapter 7 out and read from the end of chapter 6, jump over into chapter 8... Everything seems to flow smoothly, right? Chapter 7, specifically the part that we're going to get into today as we move into chapter 8, throws a wrench in the works in a very like odd way. It's like, why would you go to this when... Okay, so... I'm, there's a, there's a danger because my mind's like go to chapter six, Landon. Don't start in chapter seven, <laughs> and then we'll be then we'll be going down this very this road that just keeps going back. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so you as homework, go read chapter six. Okay. <laughs> That'll save me from reading it in front of you, okay? But when you look at chapter 6, what you will find is, is that you are no longer slaves to sin, right? Chapter 6 lays this out clearly. You, believer, are not a slave to sin. Now, if you've read chapter 7, what does chapter 7 seem to say? It would seem to say that you're slaves to sin, the last part of chapter 7, as uh, over all of the years that I spent time in the book of Romans, my mind wrestling with how chapter 7 fits into this bigger narrative was one of the hardest places 
for me to wrestle with personally. Now, some of you may say, well, what about chapter 9, 10, and 11, right? As difficult as those chapters are to dig through, this particular section to me was the hardest to wrestle with because it seemed to be contradicting contradicting what Paul had just said in chapter 6 about not being a slave to sin. And I say, Paul, how can you in one breath say you're not a slave to sin and in another say that you do the things you don't want to do? Right? And here's the, here's one of the reasons that it's particularly difficult for us to see this text clearly. Um, you are on a regular basis finding yourself in sin. Every one of us. Every one of us. So when you hear this fault, when you hear this idea coming from the man who wrote the large majority of the New Testament, right? Like, you could probably say we wouldn't be here if not for His work. When you hear Him apparently saying that He does the things that He doesn't want to do, you're like, come on. You make me feel good standing where I am. Right? That's the, that's the reality of, of why it's so hard, I think, for us to see what Paul's trying to tell us here. Two, two things. One, that idea sounds good to us. Because what that says is that I'm okay where I am. Right? Is that I don't need to necessarily worry about this particular thing because Paul said he does the things he doesn't want to do. Right? So like... Amen, brother. Like, if he preached that sermon, we're all amening because it sounds good to us. Second reason I think that so often we struggle with that is that when we read the Bible, we read it the wrong way. Okay? Um, when This is a problem, and I, I'm going to try not to get on a soapbox here. But m most, I would say... Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Y'all tell me, am I wrong about this? Most of the time when you study or when people that you know study, do you study through a book or do you study devotional style? Right? To where you want to look, like when you look at, you're looking at a particular passage of text that you have, that you have no idea what the context is upstream or downstream from it. It is a time thing, for sure. Like, we find ourselves busy, short on time, and we won't, like, here's the thing. I'm not, like, putting devotionals on blast here. That's not what I'm doing. Use them. Those are great tools that others have put work into to distill that thought down. But don't let it be your only means of encountering God's Word. Because that snippet of Scripture style, almost always, like today, we are doing, is even though it's a long run, we are doing a snippet of text. And I've spent how many minutes now trying to lay context from the, be from the beginning of the book to here, and I have failed in doing that. Right? There are things that I have left out that are important to what we will read today. So even in what we're doing, there's this 
snippet type thing that we're having to do, right? For the sake of time. This, again, you should be spending time outside of this context, classroom or sanctuary type context, in God's Word yourself, reading for yourself long runs of Scripture, right? Like, it's important to study Scripture, but you have to start by reading it, right? Reading long runs of text, entire books in a sitting, right? You could do the entire book of Romans in under an hour. Now, that's a long time. That's a long time. If you were to do audio version of it, I know for a fact that you can like double time that speed and hit it in 45 minutes because I used to do it in the mornings on the way to work, in the evenings on the way home from work. Double time the speed so I can make it in a 45-minute drive, right? So like that's a long time though, right? Am I right? Like that's at least an episode on Netflix <laughs> or two if you're watching like a short series, right? There may be a little conviction that comes out of that because you just realized how much time you actually do have. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like they are so good at building these things that will like sap up all of our time. I get it. I'm not innocent from this either. Every day for 20-something days. And then, I mean, that sounds yeah. crazy, but you really get the message. Don't try to deep study. Just read it. And then the next, like, let's say, you know, Romans. Then you read seven more chapters. Read that same seven, seven chapters. Yeah. Every day you'll get something new from it. Every day. Yeah. Yeah, right. at least, yeah. Read eight, eight in Romans. Exactly. <laughs> at least. At least. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you just if you just stop at the end of seven, you're gonna be like, "Wow, Lord!" <laughs> so, so here's the yeah yeah. Yeah. Repetition. Running, run. Here's the thing: if you read Romans ten thousand times, you will have studied Romans. <laughs> just hear, hear me. If you just read Romans ten thousand times, guarantee you you studied it. Guarantee, guarantee you, right? Guarantee. Spend time running through. So that's the second problem, right? Right. The first problem. Chapter 7 sound the end of chapter 7 sounds good. We want Paul to be saying what we oftentimes think that he's saying there. One. Number two, we haven't read chapter 6, 7, 8 together. Right? We haven't read it together. We haven't followed that thread of thought. Okay? And when we do, when we do, I think it changes the way that we look at what we're going to look at today. So, again, be reminded we're talking about the Spirit today. The Holy Spirit and His work in us. We're in Romans, in the section of Romans where Paul's pushing forward this idea of the, the believer walking in the life that they've now been drawn to by faith. Right? They're being sanctified. 
They're no longer slaves to sin. They're slaves to righteousness. How then? How then? Because every one of us, when we read what we're going to read here in just a little bit, and we hear him, we hear like this echo of this, the flesh within us saying, I know what it is to struggle. Who doesn't know what it is to struggle with sin? Is there a person here? Is there a person here? Here's what I want to tell you. Your ability to overcome that sin does not lie in your ability to recognize that you struggle in that sin. Believer, your ability to overcome that sin doesn't lie within you. It lies within the Spirit. Well, take it back. The Spirit lies within you, so in that regard, it does. Okay? But it is the Spirit who changes you, who works to sanctify you so that you can walk more holy day after day. You can Okay, so here's what I want to point out in chapter 6, or excuse me, almost, we almost went back to, to, to chapter 6 there. Y'all see how my tendency is to go back to that. Um, <laughs> we're going to be in verse 6 of chapter 7, okay? So we're notice that I'm starting one verse before this run that oftentimes we like, look at this and we look at it and like it's a sigh of relief scripture we're like at least paul's like me right now i want us to see what verse six says and then we're going to read so what we're going to do is man we are not going to have time today i'm going to go ahead and call this a two section um text we're going to read through this today and then we're going to come back and we're going to start working through it verse by verse okay so i want us to just read through it so that we see this 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 thread press through this text right so we're going to look at six and and verse six of chapter seven meets in verse eight or meets in chapter eight excuse me okay so what we're going to see in six hold that in your brain as you're reading all of these things and watch him link it down in eight okay so chapter seven verse six but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit now what spirit is this this is the holy spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Okay, so I want you to, I want you to get... It. I, I said we were going to read through it. Let's just read through, let's read through it. Uh, man, it is so hard. I'm chomping at the bit to go and just verse by verse it. But let's read through it. Okay, I'm going to start back again in verse 6. <laughs> and I promise I'm not going to stop until we get done. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be helpful. <laughs> now is the time to place bets on whether or not I'm an, I, I'm the underdog on that card right there. Okay, here we. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna do this. I'm gonna take a deep breath. 
let's let's go. But now we're released from the law. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm already sweating. <laughs> this is not because it's so hot in here. Okay. Okay, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if I had... N- if if. It had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not want what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Or I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now... <clears throat> now, if I do not, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin... 
He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's laws indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him but if Christ is in you all of the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you I'm going to just finish reading Romans chapter 8 because I can. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll walk through it verse by verse next week. Um, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified what then shall we say 
about these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord see you can read long form <laughs> okay so next week we will start at the top <laughs> I'm gonna do my I'm gonna do my best this week to figure out how we actually make it through next week and be done it's gonna be that's gonna be that's gonna be hard work for me this week so y'all keep me in your prayers